And welcome everyone to the Cajun Strong Style Podcast, 103.7 Games exclusive pro wrestling podcast. Hopefully you've been enjoying a lot of the wrestling over the last week and some change. A lot of things to get to on this week's edition of the pod, especially as we're approaching WrestleMania. Sadly, this year there will be no such thing as what we did last year where I did like seven podcasts in seven days. We're never doing that again. That was a mistake. Way too much work to be done during that week of WrestleMania. So we're going to just go ahead and table that idea going forward. But I will still have a full podcast. Probably going to be a, a very long one about all things WrestleMania weekend coming up after that. But we're going to be dropping one next week, obviously, talking about WrestleMania, previewing it. Maybe we'll hop, get a couple guests to hop on the show as well. We'll go ahead and start off with a retro review. Don't do these often. Maybe I'll do more of these down there, depending on how the overall like fan base likes and how people kind of attract towards it. And I wanted to go ahead and do something a little bit different. This actually popped up on a whim last Wednesday before Dynamite. I wound up seeing, thinking about it because it was like last Thursday it was St. Patrick's Day. And of course, that got me thinking about a Monday Night Raw that I just remember for a lot of different reasons, and I wanted to rewatch it. And it's March 17th, 2008, St. Patrick's Day, 2008, at the Cajun Dome. It was Ric Flair's last ever match on Monday Night Raw. And before we get to the actual show itself, it's amazing how much was going on at wrestling at the time. Still kind of light in terms of news. It's not like some of the older Observer newsletters where you're able to find all the neat stats and facts, and I'm not paying the money to go get Dave Meltzer's newsletter. I'll kind of go through some of the bullet points that I was able to find on the Wayback Machine. So on the March 10th Observer, Spike TV announced they were doing a live edition of TNA Impact on March 27th, the Thursday before WrestleMania. And this was actually the one where Robin McAllister showed up on their programming in the crowd, and they cut to him. And wound up costing him his job, which is an insane episode in and of itself. Speaking of TNA, they had their Destination X pay-per-view on March the 9th. And that was a pretty average show. One notable match off top, I think the Elevation X match between Rhino and James Storm. That was pretty fun. You also had the Fish Market Street Fight with Shark Boy and Curry Man against, I believe it was the Dully Boys. That was a really cool just concept in and of itself. And they did well with that. And they had done their Fallout show that the Thursday before this Raw. And their recent airing of Impact had a main event for a non-title. It was Christian Cage and Kevin Nash against AJ Styles and Tyson Tomko, or as he was called, Tomko. And of course, in a Vince Russo special that ended in a disqualification. We go to SmackDown that Friday night, because it's still Friday nights at the time. This ended with Shawn Michaels teaming with his WrestleMania opponent, Ric Flair, in a four-on-two handicapped steel cage match. And I vividly remember seeing probably the tail end of this back in 2008. And the big talking point was that this was not going to affect the retirement rule. This wasn't going to cost him. So Shawn Michaels, Ric Flair, they both lost to La Familia in a handicapped steel cage match, which was weird in and of itself. But then again, that's typical 
overbooking of a show nobody at that point in time really cared about. And we start off with possibly the one of the best intros. I know we, everybody talks about Across the Nation, all that. And it talks about Thorn in Your Eyes, a great intro for Monday Night Raw. Papa Roach just brings a different energy to me. And it, I feel like it encapsulates the time capsule of that like 2006 to 2009, 2010 era of Raw. It fits so darn well. And the show is live for the Cajun Dome. This is a packed house. And you could tell people were into it right from the jump. Not like some other show that happened in 2019, but it's still a great energy in the crowd. JR and Jerry Lawler, they're on commentary. They have a great back and forth throughout the night, as they always have, always will. Always going to be a great commentary team. But the show opens up, not with a Triple H 20-minute promo, but no, we get Chris Jericho opening the show with the highlight reel. And you kind of forget that Jericho was still a babyface at this point and started to turn heel not long after WrestleMania and made the full heel turn later on and leading to the epic feud with Shawn Michaels, one of the best feuds of like the last 10, 15 years because of how long it built. It built from the aftermath of WrestleMania and slowly but surely Jericho turned heel and it paid off really well. And they basically kind of talked about how he had just won the Intercontinental title for the then record eighth time from Jeff Hardy. He had just been suspended around this time for a wellness policy violation. So he got taken out of the match of the Money in the Bank ladder match. Also lost the Intercontinental title, which was a really great touch. And I actually always enjoyed this run of Jericho with the Intercontinental title. It was good. Not necessarily the longest run, but it was still solid nonetheless. His guest is none other than the future tag team partner of Jericho, the big show. And he had just come back, lost some weight, looked a lot leaner, not as lean as he does looks now, but he still looked a lot better than he did when he left the WWE. When we go see the stuff in 2006, where he was probably at his heaviest, that hiatus helped him out a lot. And it's a basic segment kind of continuing to hype the Floyd Mayweather match that's going to be coming up at WrestleMania, the, the notice qualification match, which was a really like fine match. It was classic, you know, David Goliath stuff. And they recapped the angle from last week where they had a massive brawl after big show, essentially threw Mayweather into a whole into Mayweather's crew with a gorilla press. So again, that's always entertaining to watch that go down. You saw that brawl. And then there was a person just screaming like crazy when they recapped and showed the video. You saw that person screaming like somebody just got shot. I'm like, I don't know why that person was there, why they did that. And Jericho and Big Show, they go back and forth talking trash to each other even and setting up a match later in the night for the Intercontinental title against Jericho and Big Show is going to be squaring off in the main event. Or actually, no, it was the co-main event. Let me correct myself there. Then we get to... Vince McMahon, a pre-tape that they had before they went to commercial. This is the definition of self-adulation. Vince is completely in character, putting himself over. He recently got a star on a walk of fame. Says he has a bench squat. He said a different way of 700 pounds. And he said the only thing better than all that is being able to retire Ric Flair. And he was going to do that tonight in a street fight inside the cage. Which that 
I absolutely loved hearing they're actually going to run that as a big match. I mean, this was pretty much the match that everybody was talking about heading into it. Not as much Randy Orton and Cena versus the Raw roster, which was the actual main event. But it was a good pre-tape. It really showed how Vince McMahon at this point was completely bat bleep insane. Like there was moments. In fact, if you follow us on Twitter at Cajun Strong Pod, I tweeted out a bunch of screenshots from this show. And my God, some of the stuff that I found was amazing. And just the face of Vince had, I believe they use this still in his tight drawn, but he had this crazy look in his eye. I can't even begin to explain how nuts it was. So we get to that. That's done. Move on to the next segment. CM Punk versus Carlito. And Punk was at this point still in ECW and further proving why at this point in time in wrestling, the brand split had already kind of run its course and they started to slowly but surely break that off. It wasn't like, oh, hey, we're just going to go ahead and kill it off, but we're going to actually let that door be open a little bit to where we see some competition between brands. And this was a prime example of that. But again, it also speaks to the fact that we're trying to put over CM Punk huge with a main roster like a Raw or a SmackDown. And it made sense for him to be there and get this. And it was him against Carlito in a match kind of hyping up because these two were going to be part of the Money in the Bank ladder match, which at the time was only the third, no, fourth ever. And it was going to be Punk's second attempt at it. And then we get to a really fun match between these two. Solid TV match. Both got their stuff in. Very quick stuff. JR had a really great quote in this match saying, I have a hard time getting up a 20-foot ladder to clean my gutters. I could not stop laughing at that one for a minute. Because, again, it's JR just... We talk about JR being JR, how he is when he's doing commentary on AEW Dynamite. But what he did here, that was exactly what I expect from him. Fantastic match here. At one point, you get to see a counterfest happening at the end of here, end of the match. Punk countered the backstabber. Carlito countered the GTS. Punk kicked out after a neckbreaker out of the counter. And then Punk won about a minute later with the GTS. Again, very, very solid match. Between these two, we should could have probably seen more with those guys because they definitely could have been treated a lot better in a lot of different aspects. But I think especially with someone like Carlito, who deserved a lot better, and he was kind of meandering around this time, kind of hovering around the mid-card at this point. He probably could have been a lot better off. He'd had a couple intercontinental title runs, obviously won the U.S. title in his first match. This is about four years after he made his debut on the main roster, and he's kind of almost an afterthought. Actually, now that I think about it, because I don't think he was actually in the 24 Money in the Bank ladder match. I think that was actually a tag team title match that was not even the main card. It was a pre-show match. No, wait, no, that wasn't the... Now I'm trying to remember when that was. If that was 20... It, okay, Carlito was in it. So it might have, must have been like 25 or 26, 26 probably. When they did that. See, this is what happens. I get confused a lot. I'm trying to remember 
all my timelines of how it was. Okay, it was the next WrestleMania that it happened when they unified the titles, which was a really solid match. Damn shame it was just on the pre-show for WrestleMania 25 because that could have been a really good co-main event there, at least from my point of view. Then we get to Snoop Dogg has a pre-tape because he's going to be the master of ceremonies for the Bunny Mania match. Snoop starts to read a script that is clearly written by Santino saying that Maria should have stood by her man and never show the public her, her body in it. And that's since <laughs> saying Maria should never pose her playboy. I pop for that. That's so Santino and Snoop argue and Snoop just says he's going to WrestleMania and leaves the conversation. Segment is over. Now we get to London and Kendrick. They're in the ring in the next segment. GM William, William Regal's on the mat on the ramp and introduces their opponent, Umenga, and also to hype up the match against Batista. And this was glorified squash match stuff. Just dominant. A double Samoan drop. These two were getting destroyed. Umaga won with the Samoan spike on Paul London. He got the win. Brian Kendrick actually walked out of the match during the finish, teasing some dissension in the ranks. Teasing tension. But here's the thing. After I watched that match, I'm like, I got to see this because I feel like this, this group went on for a little bit longer because I think they lasted until like 2009. At least it's just how my memory pieces it together. But they actually broke up a little bit after this, but it wasn't because, oh, hey, they did a classic breakup. I think it was just the fact that they had the draft split, the brand split, and the two just broke up on that in June. But they teased this dissension in the ranks from this point, but never really followed up on it. They got back together and worked things out, apparently, right after WrestleMania, and they had a tag team title shots against Cody Rhodes and Hardcore Holly. Okay, not necessarily what I'd expect, but fine match. And they go backstage, Regal and Triple H are talking about the main event of Cena and Orton and also comparing it to what we just saw with London and Kendrick kind of not working together. And Triple H basically said, since he's the GM and taking over, he says that if either one of these guys walks out on the other, they're out of the match. If Cena does, he's out. And if Orton does, he gets stripped of the title. And Regal's like, you can't do that. No, Triple H actually can because he is the guy that's in control of the triple threat takeover. Then we get to another squash match. It was weird to see two squash matches in a row here, but it makes sense considering what they were trying to do. Because this is hyping up the Belfast brawl, recapping JBL beating Hornswoggle to a pulp, setting up the match against Finley at WrestleMania 24. And since it was St. Patrick's Day, he decided he's going to go face off against a proud Irishman in Colin Delaney. And this is pretty much peak job guy Colin Delaney. Hadn't even gotten a win at this point. He got one, I think, not long after his time in you know, ECW. It was, I'd say, probably more along the lines of like early June or so till he got his actual first win on the ECW roster. I could be completely off base here, but he was just definition of a job guy. I mean, he was throughout his entire career, which was very short lived, 
But at this point, he was just there taking bumps like nobody's business. And he took some brutal hits here in it. Like I'm talking the close, the big boot that JBL gave him looks like he got his head decapitated clothesline from hell looked brutal. And it's just classic, you know, JBL just bullying the young boys in this. And JR at one point has one of my favorite lines of the night. And there's some really good ones. He said Delaney's getting beaten like an Irish mule, kind of spinning off the government mule line he continues to use years after it probably could probably pass the point when he could have done that. But this is just back and forth war between these two. Seeing the way things went down, leading up to WrestleMania 24 between JBL and Finley. And we get to see that storyline pay off in just a couple weeks' time, which is wild to think about. Then we get to the street fight. Ric Flair versus Vince McMahon. This was the match that I vividly remember watching live. And it was so cool to see how these two just went at it. Flair's bleeding like a stuffed pig five minutes in. And Vince is wearing the same shirt he's worn for like the last 20 years when he's on television. This was a damn good fight, street fight from start to finish. Enjoyed a lot of it. It was definitely walking brawly. But at the end of the day, when you have two guys who are in their 60s squaring off and beating the tar out of each other, that's all you can kind of do, right? And at one point in the match, I noticed it, and I just was blown away that they actually had Jared Fogle ringside for this show. And I was like, I kind of vaguely remember they had a partnership. And then it pays off a little bit later. And I laughed my head off at it. Was the relationship and the partnership WWE had with Subway at the time. And that relationship didn't necessarily pay off all that well, at least from what I've been able to kind of observe. And this is, again, classic walk and brawl. At one point, they show a sign in the crowd when Flair's just getting beaten down. He's already busted open, not necessarily bleeding crimson mask style, but says, who's Damien Demento? And I couldn't, I was like, okay, that was weird, but I still liked it. Now, (laughs) then we get to see Flair just get beaten like a, government mule he gets hit with a tv monitor which doesn't happen nearly enough these days but again makes sense because mainly they're using monitors anymore they're using ipads Vince McMahon can't finish his job after a kendo shot to the head and another he had a big old chair shot un- unprotected Shawn michaels ran in and broke up the pinfall vince sets up a table then rick flair goes low on him hits with the low blow a couple times Howard Cam at this point was shaking like crazy. Something I missed a lot from the modern day show tapings. Because sometimes when a crowd would get so hot and energetic, that camera would start, that hard cam would literally be shaking almost like it'd be going off the Richter scale with the amount of crowd that's getting into it. That's what I miss from a lot of the live tapings nowadays versus what we saw even like 10, 13 years ago. This was 13 years ago when this happened. No, 14 years ago. Excuse me. But then you have that happens. He hits the big splash. almost called it the flare flop, but it was just a big splash through the table for the win. And now it's going to be official. We get 
Flair versus Shawn Michaels in the one of the best matches of the year. Not just for the WWE, but I think all of professional wrestling, this was the match of the year that everybody was talking about when 2008 wrapped up. Now we get to a women's tag team match, the one women's match of the night. And it's all building up the Bunny Mania match. It's Bunny Mania Lumberjack match. Didn't use Lumberjill yet, which was an interesting concept. So we get to Maria and Candice Michelle teaming up to take on Jillian Hall and Victoria. And of course, they get the subway read in. And this is where things get wild and wacky. And I, again, as somebody who loves some of the comedy stuff with Santino Morella, this is just high comedy humor. Lawler is on commentary and he says, I love this subway sandwich. JR, you need to get on the subway diet. And JR's like, thank you. Like you can just tell he just wants to slap Jerry Lawler for that line. Hands down. Santino joins commentary. And he is absolutely amazing on commentary. Tons of little gems from him throughout the match. At one point they have a helicopter spot. I believe Victoria did it. And he's like, helicopter? That was one hell of a copter. I'm like, it's so cringy, but I love it because it's Santino. Maria took a lot of offense. And Candace wound up taking over after the hot tag looked great. She was so much more improved as a wrestler at this point in time, probably versus, I'd say, 2006. Because I think 08 is when she wins the women's championship and loses it to Beth and then injures her clavicle, and she's never really the same after that. But she was starting to improve a lot at this point in time. Faces win after Candace hit the unprettier, and I was blown away she actually used that move, or the kill switch as it's called now, but I was like, okay, didn't realize she was using that move in the WWE in 2008 while Christian was in TNA. Didn't realize that. I was interested. Then at the end of the match, Santino's so frustrated. He winds up throwing the thing of Subway directly into Jerry Lawler's face. Socks him one. And then he takes the Subway sandwich. I, I don't know why. It's still a moment I can't stop laughing at all this time later. Then we get to a Chris Jericho versus Big Show match for the Intercontinental title as your co-main event. And first off, I love Chris Jericho's pyro from this run. It was the pyro whenever he came out where it went, came from the sides and it just all of a sudden just flew up in the air. That stuff was awesome. And I loved that version of Jericho's pyro, which didn't last all that long once he switched heel later on in the year. And this was a short, sweet to the point match. Jericho got disqualified to retain the title after Big Show was just waylaying on him after the match. Big Show lands a big knockout punch, which wasn't called the WMD yet. And then you have him hit a choke slam to lay out Y2J continuing to hype up the match against Floyd Mayweather. Main event time, Randy Orton and John Cena versus the Raw roster. And they overdid this angle a lot in the late 2000s, early 2010s. And it felt like they did this every few months. And I don't know why that was just the gimmick du jour of WWE. A lot like what we see with Vince Russo all the time doing the item on a pole match. This was a throwaway thing that just kept doing every few months when it was clearly not 
these two superstars against the entire Raw roster. And they kept doing this. It's a weird concept, but it was a lot of fun to see these kind of things pay off. It was a weird concept, but they had some great spots with Cena and Orton cleaning house before the match was called off. Yes, it was called off because everybody started to run into the ring attacking Cena and Orton. At one point, Orton and Cena start fighting back, but got laid out by JBL and Umaga, and Triple H walks out, hits the pedigree on both of those guys, shows over. For a two-hour show in 2008, Rewatching it made me realize how much like 2008 for the most part kind of stunk. There was just so much like fun, entertaining, goofy stuff, but you started to see things go in a different direction that maybe I wasn't necessarily a fan of in 2022 versus like 2008 when I enjoyed it a little bit more. Mind you, I might just be that guy spending too much time reading into wrestling versus just enjoying it like I really should, but still overall decent show, just not the best show that WWE has ever done. And especially in 2008, you know, the, at this point, I think the wheels were starting to fall off because you were still dealing with the aftermath of the Benoit situation. You're still dealing with that in 2008. It's still fresh in the minds of a lot of people. And you're trying to get some people back in to your product on the long term. And it's hard to do if we're being honest with everything that was going on at this point. Now we get to another, just a different segment here. And it's going to go on to the sport of video games, sports entertainment, joining the video game front is 2k22 came out and I have played it for the last couple of weeks and it is really, really good. I'll go ahead and do some good and bad. So we'll start off with my favorite part of it is the fact that the controls are really smooth. It takes a lot of time to get the hang of in terms of countering combos since it's fairly random, but I like how fluid the entire game is from start to finish. The fact they remove the counter in terms of, you know, the counter limit that they had where you can't, you only reverse so many times before you are without it. And then they removed the stamina meter, at least somewhat. They still have it, but it's only noticeable whenever you start to expend your energy a lot, dealing moves in a like quick succession. And yes, it probably ruins some of the online aspects. It could just become a counterfest. But honestly, I think that's what makes online gameplay kind of fun is to see the best face the best and not have to worry about limits. And it winds up making matches a lot more fun, at least to me. But we'll go to a bad here. My GM is pretty bare bones. I understand that's the first time they're doing a GM mode since 2008 or 15 years ago in 2007 during SVR 08's run. But at least try and give us more than just a light experience with a limited number of matches because eventually from a person who wants to book cool matches all the time and book different things, I can't keep doing table matches every single week, one-on-one or tag team matches without it getting completely boring. Still enjoying my experience though, on the whole, and the fact you only have like one men's and women's title to manage kind of sucks eggs too. And the only thing I haven't messed with yet is universe mode. And I mean, that might be something I do more like after I beat my rise and everything, but I want to say I enjoy my GM mode, 
but it wasn't what I wanted. It was still good, just could have been a lot better. Gameplay, graphics, and I'm not a graphics guy, but this game looks so damn good. The presentation is overall, even on a PS4, some of the visuals they have for it are on another level. It really does hit different. Hate to use that pun here, but it works. They do a great job making sure this was a overall solidly put together game because 2K20 was an absolute piece of dog. You know what? It to a certain extent, 2K19, 2K18, they all just had the same kind of feel to it. It's a lot like the Madden games. It's a big reason why I hate games that are just released every year. And they're just slapped together using the SOS same old stuff and not putting in an effort to make sure this is a overall completely polished product. Again, that's just me. Bad part. And this is the only other bad part I have. Showcase mode. They butchered this thing bad. Like I get it. You're, you're limited because obviously you're dealing with Licensing rights for a lot of superstars who are no longer under contract or what have you. For instance, the thing that I'm blown away by is how many key moments they missed out on, especially during Rey Mysterio's 2006 run. You could run back a lot of his matches from that time frame. He had great feuds with Jericho, Cody Rhodes, CM Punk. Obviously, they can't be in those for obvious reasons, but it really felt like the overall story of Rey Mysterio was incomplete. You didn't have his Mania 22 main event, the crowning moment of his career involved in this. You only had one WCW match. That's the only match he ever had was against Eddie Guerrero. You couldn't have gotten somebody else to be involved in it, or maybe, just maybe, maybe you could do a match with Kevin Nash. Rey Mysterio and Kevin Nash fought before. You could run something like that. You have his rights to use his name in that game. Why not? I was definitely surprised at that. Another good that I think, and this is going to be more of my overall thoughts here, this is the most fun I've had playing a WWE game since probably Day of Reckoning. If not, it's a probably SmackDown versus Raw 2010. Those games were fun, but this is on another level. It feels like it's a game that you have to spend a little time and master before you can really enjoy it. And hell, like the one online game I played, I had so much fun doing because it was the counters and going back and forth. And every time you thought you had them, you didn't. There's some stuff I don't like. Like, for instance, this is another thing that's just popped in my head was the fact I can't do a double stack table spot. I can still set it on fire, which is still great and all. And doing a powerbomb outside the ring through a flaming table looks great the way they have wrestlers just get cut open looks great. I just don't like certain parts of what they've done to the overall gameplay and how it feels at least somewhat watered down, but the overall game it's solid. doesn't have a whole lot of glitches. The cross platform creation suite changes the game in a lot of different ways. So overall, I probably would give this game a 8 out of 10. Really solid work. Hopefully they can improve upon it in 2K23, whenever that does indeed come out. Hopefully that is not a rush job. But that's going to about do it for the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. Appreciate you listening in. 
We'll talk to you down the road as we get closer to WrestleMania next week. We'll be a full-blown preview of the show of shows. Can't believe we're starting to get even closer to a big number, and that number is 100. So keep it locked right here. Make sure you follow us on social media. Just search at Cajun Strong Pod. You can check us out on Twitter, Facebook. Just search Cajun Strong Style. And if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to us however you get your podcast, be it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever. Make sure you go ahead and subscribe to us. And if you're on iTunes or Spotify, leave us a five-star review if you will is that helps us know that people are listening. Number one, number two, people are enjoying the Cajun strong style podcast. So until next time, enjoy the wrestling.